Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 141 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How is everybody doing? Hope you're doing well. Hey, check this out. I just got off the phone with Roger Simonoff today and for the month of July, mandolins and beer listeners can get 10% off single packs of straight up strings. That's an awesome deal, man. No reason why not to try them out now. Science, I wish I knew the magic behind this. It's actually, it's not magic, it's science. And Roger spent a lot of time putting these strings together. Straight up strings are engineered with compensated downloads for optimum balance, every note of every chord. And now, again, 10% off. All you have to do is go to the website, order them, and in all caps, put in Mando Beer, M-A-N-D-O-B-E-E-R, all one word, at straightupstrings.com today. And be sure to sign up for their awesome newsletter while you're there. Come on, man. You know you're a Mando nerd like me and love trying out all the strings out there. If you haven't tried them out, now is the time to do so. Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Instructors like Ian Curry, Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, and Chad Manning can learn everything from beginner to advanced techniques to theory from mandolin. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Go to pegheadnation.com and use the code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And my guest Carter has some uh, pretty great experiences with the folks at Northfield as well. They are great people, so be sure to support them. Go to their Instagram as well. they got a fantastic Instagram. Ear Trumpet Labs, they hand-build microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, they have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check out them at eartrumpetlabs.com today. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins, designed and built in Austin, Texas. Wonderful Austin, Texas. Also, be sure to follow them on the Instagrams. And Elderly Instruments had a great chat with them last week. Uh, Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new used vintage fretted and stringed instruments. From the experienced to beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I mention mandolins? Includes all the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 50th year, as a matter of fact... July 5th is that 50th year party, so be sure to go to that. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. Or if you have any questions, give them a call at 517-372-7880. All right, folks, my guest is Carter Schiltz. I've uh, been internet friends with Carter for for a few years now, and he is just got a great Instagram page. Um, I highly recommend you go check it out. I'll have a link in the description of the podcast as well. He also plays in a band called the Honey Goats, and he also plays with Chicken Wire Empire, and uh, I believe they just posted a bunch of dates as well to go. So be sure to check Carter out. He's up in the Wisconsin area, but they're traveling all over. So he's a great guy, man. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with him. Let's get into the interview here. You have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. Some cauliflowers Organic shine will make your head spin for hours The outlaws in the south, they're brewing good old shine But the Yankees in the north, they're mixing dandelion wine All right, now it's my pleasure to have on the podcast Carter Schultz. Carter, how's it going, bud? It's going great. It's uh, Tuesday morning here. How are you doing? Doing good. Yes, Tuesday morning indeed. Are, are you, Um, what time is it there? Is it Eastern time or is it? No, we're Central. Okay. We're 10 well, a.m. So 10 a.m. Well, thanks for doing it so early. Oh, I love it. I'm a morning person. Oh, are you really? 
Yeah, totally. man, I wish I could be. I try, <laughs> like every year. That's like one of my goals is to be like, you know, today I'm gonna set my alarm for six, <laughs> and it never, it never works out, unfortunately. I think too many years yeah. of playing late gigs, I get a second wind too late in the evening to ever really go to bed early enough. Yeah, you got your whole life rhythm all, all shifted. Yeah, all askew. <laughs> so it looks like you've been. Um, first off, you. Your Instagram is I, I love your Instagram. We've been kind of internet friends for a bit yeah. now. And um just every time you post a clip on your Instagram, I'm just like, Man, his right hand is absolutely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> you, oh, thank you. So great. I mean, you get great tone and, and you also um you also post, you know, just you, you work on such cool stuff and and do a great job like playing it but kind of putting your own stamp on it with your tone and stuff so i'm really excited to talk with you today yeah totally i started that like shortly after i started playing actually just started posting videos just to really like track my own progress and um it's almost been more interesting like i don't know now i hear myself and i feel like i sound the same all the time um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's been more interesting like going back through videos to to think like you know what was i learning you know back in 2019 what was i listening to what was i thinking you know um just the process of uh or the whole journey of learning an instrument beyond just like the the technical aspects of it but you know what is inspiring you over the years did you, are, have you only been playing since 2019 no i've been playing oh man let's see i started when i was 16 i'm 25 now so oh okay cool i was like ago. oh dude oh, all right that was i mean the way to put me over the edge of discouragement like oh my gosh <laughs> i'm sure uh, there's definitely some people out there who have been playing since 2019 that would make me freak out but that's all right <laughs> yeah for sure i was like whoa <laughs> what got you into mandolin um, you know, it's kind of a funny story. I didn't even, I had never even heard of the mandolin or bluegrass music or anything like that until, until I was 16. And I just really like stumbled across a video. It's still out there. It's, uh, it was Chris Dealey and Michael Daves playing Big Sciota at Old First Brooklyn in New York. And, uh, they were playing Fork a Deer in the Big Sciota. And I just remember them like, totally sending it just like going for it it was like they kicked it off too fast but they didn't care they were like we're just <laughs> gonna get through it we're just gonna go for it and uh i remember like i, I had heard the term bluegrass music i knew it was like oh yeah that's banjo music or whatever and i remember seeing this video and hearing these guys just like go at it and instantly recognizing like, oh, there's like, there's something bluegrassy about this, but there's also something super conversational about it. Um, the way that they're playing off of each other and the tone of the mandolin was just like, I don't know, I can't really describe it, but I've heard it from a lot of other mandolin players too. Um, you just hear something about that tone, like maybe the percussiveness of it or, or whatever it is, and you're just hooked. And so, uh, it actually it, it was funny because i went to at that point i wasn't i mean i was I, it wasn't like i had a problem with my family or anything but i wasn't super close with my grandparents or anything like that we just didn't really have a lot in common and i remember um maybe it was thanksgiving or something like that i was over by my grandparents house and i just happened to ask my grandpa if he had ever heard of a mandolin and he was instantly like oh yeah totally we got to get you one of those and Whoa. you can learn bluegrass music and we can play bluegrass music oh, and wow. i had no idea yeah i had no idea i mean he had been playing guitar his entire life um you know real like obsessed with johnny cash and merle haggard and those guys and um it was so funny i didn't even recognize that and i later found out like going back even further than that like some kind of great musical roots and stories in my family going back to like my great great grandma um you know people playing instruments and singing yeah i mean my my great great grandma came to wisconsin from uh norway and she they, they settled in like the mississippi river valley 
because they said that the hills over there reminded them of Norway. Oh, neat. And uh, yeah, and one of the stories I'll never forget was everybody talks, everybody in my family talks about how great of a singer my great great grandma was, my grandma Emberson. And uh, they said when she would go outside to hang clothes on the line, she would go out there and she would sing these old like crooner songs like uh, Dear Hearts and Gentle People or Little Green Valley. I love those dear hearts and gentle people who live in my hometown because those dear hearts and gentle people will never ever let you down they read the good book from Friday and all the neighbors would turn their radios off because they would say oh mrs emerson is out there singing and it's just it's That's one of those amazing, stories man yeah man it's just one of those stories you uh, i never would have heard about that if it wasn't for just stumbling across the mandolin on YouTube, you know? Um, so I guess that's sort of the origin story there. That's cool. Those Michael Daves and Thiele videos that are out there are just so cool to watch. And it's it's still real old-timey and bluegrass, but I could imagine, like, if somebody would have walked into a bar in, like, 1950 and saw that, they would be like, let's get out of here. This is going to be a crazy place. Not that the music's bad, but it's so wild in, like, just barely hanging on. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It really is. I mean, that's, like, that's that's one of the things that's so so kind of inspiring about it, too. It reminds me of, like going back and seeing videos from like um like the seeing rock and roll back in the 50s and 60s um there's this video online of james brown playing at the tammy show and just absolutely sending it just lighting the place <laughs> on fire and you see like this the, the camera pans to the crowd and you just see all these people with just mouths agape like what is going on right now and I love any kind of performance that can deliver that sort of reaction, you know, like just really going for it to the point where people are just like, all you can think is, wow. you know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any live video, I can listen to anything if the if a live performance is just like, wow, what just happened there? You know, it could be any style of music. If it's, yeah, you know, yeah. if it's somebody sends me something, I'm going to watch it if they. They're like, you got to see this because you never know what you're going to, you know, even if it doesn't relate to mandolin, there's there might be something you can still take from it. You know, even if it's oh, just, totally, you know, a note or a way something was phrased or, the you know, just dynamics. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things like I was just talking about, like the process of learning for me and and always like the question of like, what am I going to learn today? Or what should I learn next? What should I work on next? And for a while, I would just go and learn all the, I would just learn all these solos and just try and memorize all these solos that I liked. And it started out with all these mandolin solos. You know, all my favorite players, Ronnie McCurry, Chris Thiele, Sierra Hall, um, Adam Steffi, Tim O'Brien, all those folks. And then I realized eventually like i was running out of these i was kind of running out of mandolin solos that i love <laughs> that i love to memorize and i was like man what am i going to do now and i actually like really departed from listening to mandolin for a while and got really into like saxophone i was transcribing a lot of like saxophone solos i got into john coltrane um trump and i got into miles davis and all those folks and yeah i mean sometimes sometimes the most inspiring like sometimes the most inspiring mando licks come from the other instruments <laughs> oh for sure i love learning trumpet stuff uh clifford brown yeah. has been like my current um he's got a tune jordu I 
always find that it, the phrasing just whatever resonates with me with mandolin. Like it sounds to you know, like you could learn the, those for a mandolin. Just the way the yeah. phrasing goes and the you know, I love it. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that Thiele video that I was talking about. Like even when I was even before I played music, I could tell that it was conversational. And and it's the same thing with with you know like Miles Davis. You listen to the phrasing and you can just hear who he's playing off of. You know, like mm. you can hear what part of the pocket he's trying to fill. Um, and you can really hear sort of the call and response within the band, which it's cool to hear that like translating in bluegrass too. Like it's all coming from that same vein. Of all the solos that you've worked on, because you named some pretty heavy hitters there, what was the hardest solo or most accomplished one that like you were like, holy cow, I've, uh, I've learned man. Um, oh man, I think the one that gave me the biggest struggle was, uh, Can't Stop Now, the Sam Bush solo. Yeah, man. Deceptively hard. Deceptively hard. Yeah. And deceptively fast. And I, it just, it sounds so, I don't want to say it sounds easy, but when you listen to it, you, it just, I guess it's just so cool and melodic. You don't really think about like, oh, yeah. holy cow, until you start digging in, you know, like sometimes I listen to Thiele stuff. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother trying to, <laughs> I'm not even going to bother trying to figure that one out. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I've actually, I, I, I've thought that about Thiele solos and then dove into them and they fall under my fingers because they're so, uh, a lot of them are, are so clearly you can you can trace the theory behind them sort of it, it feels like you're playing a scale so it sort of falls or so you feels like you're playing some type of mode so it kind of just i don't know it falls it, it, i've noticed that a lot of thiele solos actually fall really nicely under your, your fingers because it's a lot of these flurries of 16th notes whereas you know something like that can't stop now solo you've got these super fast 16th notes and then you've got tremolo and then you know, you're going right back into the chop after that. And it's just a lot of twists and turns within there. Those octaves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's great. What was the uh, what was the first mandolin you got? Oh, man, the first mandolin was a piece of junk. <laughs> it, was, it was I don't even know the company that made it, but it. The, on the headstock, it said Bean Blossom, but that wasn't the name of the company. I think the company was called like Indiana or something. It was like a knockoff of Kentucky Mandolins or something like that. Um, <laughs> but I remember I got that thing and I, I went home, had no idea where to start in terms of learning, but just kind of put my fingers on the fretboard and learned how to play a G and F and a C and started like fiddling around with like some guns and roses or something like that <laughs> Nice. <laughs> just kind of like wandered aimlessly through learning the mandolin for about a month and then was like all right well maybe i should learn some fiddle tunes so started started on the little bean blossom what were some of the albums that you got i mean obviously Thiele saw the Thiele video and you're like whoo but you know were there other <laughs> things that you had gotten and started woodshedding on and 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 working yeah on? Yeah, I mean, when I when I originally started, I was super into the Thiele stuff, and I actually, shortly after that, went down, like, this really old-timey rabbit hole and was listening to a ton of old-time music. So I went from kind of like the, the newest iteration of Bluegrass to the oldest iteration <laughs> um, pretty quickly, like within a couple months, and just got really fascinated with, with uh, all these old-time tunes, and then kind of worked forward from there and i got into some some blues music i got really into jimmy rogers for a while um and then eventually got to bill monroe and uh yeah it's interesting i don't i don't listen to as much bill monroe as i should these days but i had a kick for a couple a couple months probably when i was like 16 years old where all 
I would be like walking around the hallways of my high school in Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin, jamming out to, you know, Go Monroe and, and those guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, as far I, I kind of got into bluegrass and tried to just absorb the whole well right away. It was really fascinating to to me to get from to see that to, like I said earlier, like the fact that you could go on YouTube and see a video of Bill Monroe playing. And then you could also, you know, in the related videos, you'd see a video of Sam Bush playing. And then in the related videos, you'd see a video of Sierra Hall or Chris Thiele. And like, you can just so clearly see the different generations within the music. Um, so when I first started, that was really what I was, I, I guess that was the well that I was diving into, just trying to like find how the music had changed and developed, bluegrass music in particular. At this point, did you were you going to any sort of jams, or were there other people you were playing with that had similar interests? Uh, no. Yeah, because I was gonna say like Wisconsin doesn't seem like necessarily. Oh, there's some great Wisconsin bluegrass bands. Um, oh yeah, it's but getting it, there. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's <laughs> like it doesn't also seem like it's a place where you're gonna find a bluegrass jam on every corner. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's one of those things where, uh, again, like it's kind of like how I said I didn't even know what bluegrass was and then found out I had kind of this this awesome musical legacy in my family. Um it's kind of the same thing with the music here in Wisconsin. You you don't you wouldn't think that there's so much bluegrass here, but once you sort of get into it and you meet a couple people, you realize like, oh wow, there's this jam going on in this dive bar on Tuesday night or whatever. <laughs> so it's one of those things. It's like it's it's out there but you really got to like stumble upon it to find it. And so I didn't really find a jam until I'd played for maybe three years. I found an Irish jam um, near my hometown, a little city called Plymouth, Wisconsin. They had an Irish jam every Wednesday night. And I would go there and just try to try to catch on to the melodies. And yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, interesting because you know you wouldn't take solos or anything you would just kind of try and learn the tune and they would it would go around and around and around you just keep trying to learn this tune and i just remember how exhausting it would be to sit there in this irish jam <laughs> for like three hours like thinking like why am i not getting this well maybe it's because i've been trying to learn 50 tunes in the last three hours you know <laughs> right <laughs> Oh, was it a pretty advanced Irish jam or was it or just like a group? I mean, I guess it doesn't even have to be really advanced because if people know songs and you don't, you're automatically at that weird disadvantage in a jam. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a good jam. It was I always like a jam where there's like a couple people who are kind of foundational there. That's mm -hmm. kind of how this was. There were a couple people who had been coming to this jam for a long time and and knew sort of the forms of of a good handful of songs and could just kind of keep everybody on the rails a little bit, but yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it was decently, decently advanced, but not so much <laughs> that it was intimidating. When did you, did you go to school for music? No, I didn't. I went to school for marketing. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah I just remember you, I, there were definitely videos of you playing in a dorm room. So oh, yeah. the marketing will come in handy. Yeah, totally. So when did you start? And now you play you play in a band called the Honey Goats right now. Yeah. And you also play with Chicken Wire Empire. Yep. So you found some killer bands. You've been doing some road dates, but were there bands up to that point that you were playing with? No, not really. Um, you know, now I think things are becoming a little bit more collaborative. There's a lot of a lot of kind of rejuvenated energy in the in the little bluegrass scene up here now. Um, between Madison and Milwaukee, there's so many great pickers, and now we're all kind of starting to all starting to play together and, and jam together and make music together and write music together. Um, so that's something that you know maybe there's more more little things on the side like that. Um, but you know, like you said, up here you kind of you kind of find your people, and and those are your those are your people because there's not too many jams out there where you're gonna bump into someone new playing banjo or whatever when did you start with the honey goats that was 2016 that was my freshman year of college oh cool 
And you guys yeah. put that album out, was it 2020? 2020, yeah. Four years and three days. I, I was just talking to Adrian Gross. I was oh, talking okay, yeah. to Adrian from Silicon Ramblers, and your album reminds me of them in a way of it's great songs with bluegrass, bluegrass in influence. Like it isn't just like straight up traditional bluegrass. Yeah, yeah. That for me, that's always one of those things that I really, um, you know, because I didn't grow up on bluegrass, so I gravitate to a lot of. A lot of like the songwriting stuff too really grabs me, so I can listen yeah, to all totally. that. And great songs and killer mandolin playing on it, buddy. <laughs> Holy cow, man! That's some great stuff. Well, I'm glad to hear that that the songwriting aspect of it translates, because um, we definitely went into it like I don't know. I, I I've been trying to learn more of the fundamentals of bluegrass in the last few years, but I look back on that now, and I don't know. You know, when I was in college, um, it was I, I would just you know write a song here or there, and it was mostly just like, all right, I just got to finish this. You know what? <laughs> What rhymes at this? What rhymes at this? <laughs> right. All right, send it to the guys. Get this thing arranged. Let's get it out there. Start playing it. So, like, we, we had written all these songs just to be performed live and never really thought about recording. And then uh, that was kind of our pandemic project. So we went four years without recording, and then we were like, all right, let's just let's go get it done. So we did three days in the studio and recorded all these songs. And it was the first time that I, like, listened to them like recorded and, and mixed and everything and i was like wow i should have spent more time with those songs <laughs> <laughs> but i'm glad to hear that you can tell that they're that they're sing-songy they're not just straight up bluegrass no i i love it man and again like i, I and i love traditional bluegrass it's just i didn't grow up listening to it so it wasn't like you know instilled in my blood as just like hearing a yeah. great song was you know and and now again like i still love listening to like traditional bluegrass and stuff like that too but you know songs i, I mean i love listening to lyrics and and like yeah. part of the thing that makes you listen to a song all the way through is like maybe seeing how a song resolves you know in like a story or or just, yeah, a, just totally. uh, there's nothing better than a killer chorus that sticks in your head all day yeah, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what was it like going into the studio? Was that the first studio experience you had had? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was fun. It was a little overwhelming, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was the first time I had I'd ever recorded to a click or anything like that. And I, I suppose like the most overwhelming part of, of recording for the first time for us was just figuring out how we wanted to do it, how live we wanted it to be, how much mixing we wanted, things like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a really, I remember the day that we finished recording, literally the, the day of, I was like, man, I can't wait to go do this again. <laughs> I just wanted like a redo. <laughs> oh man! And I just remember feeling, but but it was a it was in an inspiring way where it was like, man, I just can't wait to you know come back and 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 just you know knowing knowing what you know after going through that process for the first time and and going into it with a different mindset next time and yeah, I think that's kind of the beauty of recording. Like now the thing that I love about that honey goats album is it's just such a snapshot in time and you can kind of, you can kind of hear like the nervousness in, in the playing and you can, you can hear the spot, you can hear sort of the indecisiveness in some of the parts. And I look back on it and I'm like, wow, I totally remember like 
getting through that song, getting to that part and being like, oh man, do I follow the click or do I follow the bass or do I follow this <laughs> or that or what, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. But recording with a click is tough, if, especially, I mean, I practice with a metronome every single day, but the um, for me, the minute you get into a studio and that click is going and you're like, oh man, I got a, I'm a big part of this rhythm and <laughs> I, got, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got this thing clanging in my ears here. Uh, yeah. And then the, you know, then they're like, all right, let's go. And you're like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Did you, you, do you practice with the metronome a bit? Yeah, I try to every day. Um, it's one of those things, like I, sometimes I like to practice with the metronome pretty pretty hard pretty religiously for a few days and then do a couple days without it and just hear how and then come back to it just to hear like if my sense of time wavered if it's moving around more um and things like that because i do think i used to play with a metronome and i would just try to follow the metronome as straight as possible and it would really i don't know i felt like i was it i felt like i was um, only hearing the click, even when the click wasn't there, like trying to follow this really stiff, straight click. And it was just making, it, it felt like it was making my playing really straight and adding just a little bit of tension. And then I realized you can practice with the metronome and try to make the metronome swing. Absolutely. And, um, and so that's, that's been, um, sort of my, my latest fascination isn't so much like landing on the beat itself, but but trying to make the beat move around a little bit. Yeah, how do you approach that for people listening and going, how the heck do you make a metronome swing? What's your approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I always think of it as like trying to hear the space in between the notes or in between the beats. Um, I mean, every note, every individual note is going to bloom. Like you're going to pluck the note and if that note is going to ring like a bell. And, and if you look at the wavelength, you're going to see it peak and then you're going to hear it fade away. And um, I mean, really making something swing is, is making that note pop at the right time, making that chop, making the, the sort of the high point of that wave hit at the right time in the pocket. Um, so, yeah, I mean, another good thing is like thinking of it as uh, uh, comparing it to, to, to other sounds. So, you know, like, like a train chugging or or things like that just sort of it's almost like a mnemonic device in a sense it, it, same wiring in the brain to help you remember like all right this is what it sounds to kind of swing you know um but i think a big part a, a huge part of rhythm in general is just having the confidence in yourself to not constantly be trying to follow but having the confidence to say, like, I'm, I'm going to try and play as consistently as possible. This chop, I want this chop to be as consistent as possible, you know, even if it's not lining up 100% with the beat itself. Well, music breathes, too. Like, good music breathes. Like, Django Reinhardt and uh, Stefan Grappelli, that, to me, that like, whenever I'm thinking my playing is too stiff, I try to work on maybe, like, a Grappelli solo. Because there's just no way, if you yeah. learn that, you can make it stiff. <laughs> if, like, you sit down and learn it like Grappelli, yeah. you're going to... The only way to make it sound that way is to swing those notes. lately too about like when you are swinging something like that how much different it feels in the right hand and in the left hand versus when you're like really driving something you know like like i i used to always i used to think that it's supposed to feel like the right and left hand are supposed to feel the same no matter how fast you're playing or whatever like you just make it smooth um, and now I realized, like, man, if you're swinging something, you can really loosen up your right hand almost like almost to a point, almost to a sloppy point and just really 
for just for the sake of like laying down that that swinging beat where you're trying to lay it down um so like thinking about about like how does this sound versus how does this feel um and, and i feel like that kind of helps the brain finger um bridge a little bit i always think of stevie ray vaughn in his right hand i don't know if you're familiar with any of stevie ray vaughn yeah. stuff but like um he almost had it wasn't really like a figure eight motion um i guess i'm trying to like replicate it while i'm playing but it's it's uh, it's like back and forth so like one chop would be further up the neck a little bit more yeah. and then yeah, the yeah, one yeah. would come back so i always when when a song i feel like it's got a swing instead of just drive straight ahead and that's the hand motion that i kind of envision in my head and try to replicate yeah. a little bit because you know like that like that chugging train that's what it always reminded me of like like that sort of feel yeah totally that's a great example now speaking of right hands i mean Dude, what are some of the things that you've worked on to develop your right hand? Because that is, besides the fact that you're just a killer player and you get great tone, your right hand is just so amazing to watch. It really, <laughs> it really is, man. I mean, I watch your videos. I'm like, ah, I got to work harder. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 for a lot of years would kind of just like just aimlessly wander around the mandolin um just kind of noodling like i'm a really compulsive noodler and i've gotten better over the years i don't drive i don't drive my bandmates as crazy as i used to but um i i would just noodle and noodle just to i don't know just to sort of feel the mandolin under my hands feel what it feels like to play a note um all that kind of stuff I, that's really not helpful but just kind of uh i don't know developing sort of a relationship with your instrument like my right hand changed when i when i got my new mandolin i had to adjust my right hand versus my old mandolin because i had to play lighter and so just kind of learning what your instrument wants how it wants to be played how it responds to you know um, a heavy right hand versus a lighter right hand and, and trying to trying to play to your instrument instead of trying to make your instrument play to you. Did you work on like particular exercises or were there certain things that like, you know, let you wake up and you're like, oh, I've got a right hand drill that I do? Man, I wish. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I had something there. Um, no, I guess sometimes I sometimes just practicing like getting from the g string to the e string and um and really finding like really feeling the width the width of of the of those strings um just to kind of give me to co coordinate my mental image of like where are where is the upstroke supposed to go and where is the downstroke supposed to go um but also um like playing a melody and trying to really focus on the upstrokes and really feel the upstrokes. Um, Cause I, yeah, I mean, upstrokes are something that if you don't think about them, they, uh, I don't know, they, they just kind of, they just kind of disappear if you're not conscious of them. And I think that's where a lot of tension comes from. Oh, for sure, man. And uh, yeah, your, your right hand is efficient. <laughs> it is. That's yeah. It's just like, you know, I'm always like, I feel like, I'm playing, I feel like I'm strumming uh, an upright bass, like a guitar, when I, when I look at your hand and then think of my hand. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing, man? Oh, man. Yeah, no, I don't know, man. I just, uh, you got a great right hand too, man. I, I just try to, just try to, just try to feel it, I guess. I don't know. I wish I had like some cool drills. Maybe I'll, I mean, maybe I'll look for some, maybe I can, maybe I can work on it more. Yeah. I, you know what? I got a, um, a friend of mine just sent me some that he got. Uh, I will send you the PDF that he sent me. It's, yeah, it's great. pretty good stuff, man. So yeah. Yeah. And then you also play with the chicken wire empire. Yeah. And you've been doing some road dates with them. Yeah. That's been fun. Yeah. I bet. How'd you get, how'd you uh, hook up with those guys? Um, well, about last September, last August, last September, they just got in touch with me, um, and asked if I could, if I could sit in with them for a couple of gigs, um, around Wisconsin. So I did. And, um, 
I don't know. It's just one of those things where the, the, it just kind of rolls on and, and expands a little bit. And suddenly I'm finding myself down in Florida a couple of weeks later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I, I don't think we're doing as much touring this summer. Um, probably more this fall. I think we did quite a bit last spring and, and probably more this fall and then playing more around the Midwest this, this summer. But um, it was certainly nice, like in November, to get down to, uh, we went down to New Smyrna Beach, Florida, we went down to Atlanta, and yeah, get some warm weather in November. Yeah, yeah, I um, we uh, I live in Charleston here, and this, I played a gig Saturday, and it was 98 degrees, oh, um, and, and we were in the direct sunlight from <laughs> quarter to four until 8.15, I, I'm pretty sure I had a little heat stroke like that, and I had the worst. And I had to drive; it was an hour and a half from my home. And oh, that's intense! Yeah, and 30 minutes from the nearest like gas station, like it was way <laughs> out there. And I, I just, I was the minute I left, I'm like, I need more water. I need Gatorade. I, you know, I felt like I was like, you know, like a, some sort of end of the world movie or something like that. Like, yeah, <laughs> civilization. <laughs> but man, yeah. I remember the first time I went down south, and the uh, it, it wasn't quite winter i think it was around uh, around march or april but i went down to savannah georgia right down your right down around your neck of the woods and i remember like I, I got on the plane in chicago you know with my all my whole you know wisconsin winter get up <laughs> got down I, I packed like all pants and flannels and then got down to savannah georgia and it was like 87 degrees <laughs> and humid when i got off oh, the plane no <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. Was, did you go down for the um, for the music camp in Savannah? Yeah, the acoustic music seminar. Yeah, cool, man. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, man, that was that was one of the uh, most. It's one of one of my fondest memories as of right now. Um, it was just a really really cool experience. The amazing amazing people. Uh, the other the other students that were there. Um, really amazing pickers really amazing people and and the instructors as well it was cool to mike marshall kind of leads that program and that was a guy who i i don't know i he was a huge inspiration of mine one of the first mandolin inspirations of mine and and never thought that i would ever meet him because he always seemed so into the classical world and the choro world and i was just this guy playing mandolin in a dorm room <laughs> and uh yeah i mean i remember my second mandolin ever um it was an eastman md 315 and i sold it to this guy up in wisconsin and and he had mentioned something about the about the acoustic mu music seminar and he said like oh yeah you should apply to this you know you can you can apply until you're 22 and you go down to savannah and you get to learned with mike marshall and, and brian sutton and all these awesome pickers and i thought you know yeah whatever i was like maybe 19 at the time and then when i was 21 uh, it was the last year that i could apply for it so i was like all right i guess i'll just apply <laughs> and see what happens what was the process like well yeah i remember it was a really it was a kind of a fun process because because it wasn't just like sending your your best fiddle tune or whatever it was these really interesting questions like what what is your fondest musical memory what is your your most exciting musical memory things like that and um yeah i remember or like what is the most what is the weirdest music you've ever played or something like that oh what'd you and, answer for that oh i think i played like slayer or something <laughs> like that <laughs> i love it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think maybe that's what got me in. I don't know. Yeah, I got this death metal remember, kid coming in. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember being so unprepared because I was I, I wasn't I wasn't completely unprepared. My playing I, I I tried to prepare my playing, but just mentally unprepared to have my mind blown like that for a week. Just you know, learning from Mike and and uh, Brian Sutton was there and Daryl Anger and David Greer and. A really, uh, a really sort of unique um, cast of people to gather information from too. I mean, like Mike, 
obviously had awesome information on on uh, playing melodies and and dynamics and things like that. But one of the, I mean, I think the biggest thing I took away from that week was just some of the wisdom that Brian Sutton just about performing and and uh, not necessarily performance anxiety, but just how to really be in the moment when you're playing, how to be loose, um, things like that, sort of the psychological side of performing. Um, that was that was a really, really, it, it was just really, really kind of mind-blowing knowledge for me, really kind of straightforward stuff, just about breathing and posture and things like that, but um, opened a lot of doors for me, I think. Just like the first time I think I went to a gig where I saw somebody just play some clams but they did they just played right through them like there wasn't any look yeah. of like oops or uh oh or anything like that it just kept going i'm like yeah. oh <laughs> i could do that yeah. I, yeah I mean eventually i realized like oh you don't have to play every note perfect you just need to make sure that the wrong notes aren't heard <laughs> exactly yeah don't bring attention to it <laughs> uh, yeah. sometimes i can't help it though like i'll try to go for something and just you know just fail wonderfully and just be like, yeah. I was like, ah, <laughs> emphasis just, on the wonderfully. <laughs> absolutely. Like I just, I just crack up at it because I'm like, I knew what I was. I usually, I know a, a millisecond before I go into it, I'm going to crash and burn it. Cause I just, <laughs> I thought about it too much and I, but I'm going to yeah, still go yeah, for yeah. it because it's too late. Now. I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best, you know, because oh, you know, yeah. like at least, you know, you went for it, I, you know, and it's just like, um, I always get bummed out when I play the same thing. Yeah. Like I, when I notice like, oh, I, th I think I actually have a solo now for this song. I'm like, ah, that's, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, now I feel like I'm stuck to it. Yeah. I mean, when, that, when you do recognize that millisecond ahead of time that you're about to fall flat on your face, I mean, at least like, at least you're in the moment enough to like recognize like, uh, you, you almost have that foresight of like, oh, all right, where are we going here? Right. <laughs> right, you can right. start thinking about how to how to get out of it before it even happens. You know. The other thing is you is you may stumble on something really cool in in that mess of notes. And um, yeah. we we do a version of "I Want You Back" by the Jackson Five that I really love. Um, yeah. But it's got some cool changes in it. You know, it goes you know to a uh, E minor to a B minor. We play it in G, and yeah. and um, so you can really do a couple cool things over those minors. And like the first few times I played it, I just ate it <laughs> every time when it came <laughs> to that part. And but in one of those times, I did like one kind of cool lick that was sort of out, but out in the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, oh, that sounds like jazz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I went home. It was like I know those notes, and then figured out like, okay, here's where I'm going to dance around that now. And and now it's like my favorite thing to play. And you know, I've kind of got like a. That's one of the ones where I kind of have a stock solo that I kind of always play because I really like it. You know, it was like one that I like. It's like, oh yeah, this one works. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, nothing more fun though than than just getting a, at least getting a little something out of it, and not just like, what am I doing wrong? Getting fired? Yeah. Like, hey man, <laughs> just that was my experience the first time I stumbled across a blues scale. It's like, whoa, what is that note? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the old flat five, buddy. <laughs> so great works. Was it in Slayer that you found it? Slayer uses a lot. <laughs> He's that flat yeah, five. Yeah, no, bit. I think it was, it was probably at like the most inappropriate time. It was probably during like Tennessee Waltz or something, just accidentally <laughs> stumbling on <out> there. <laughs> Man, um, we talked a little bit about mandolins. Let's let's talk about your main axe. I know you've had had a couple of this brand's mandolins. So what's your what's your current main axe? Yeah, right now I have the Northfield Fourth Gen F5. I think it's their newest their newest generation, their newest iteration. Um, I love it. It's it's basically they took Mike Marshall's lore, and uh, they you know he had worked with them obviously and and sort of describe some of the things that he was looking for. Um, and so it's, they modeled it, modeled it after his lore, um, but sort of tried to give it, um, I guess a little more, I don't, I, I think it was a little more beef in the low end because, because the lore had or has such incredible clarity, like around the 12th fret. Oh man. Yeah. And so it's really this challenge of like, how can you get that clarity 
while also having, you know, a little bit of body towards the low end. So you can, it's just a really balanced instrument is the best way I would describe it. Like it, it sort of feels the same way at the first fret as it does at the 15th. And, and you had a Northfield before that as well, A style? Yeah, the Model M. That's another, another, uh, actually it's, that's a really, I don't think I'll ever get rid of that mandolin. I love that mandolin. Oh, it sounds it's, great. It's, it's so fun to play too. You know, like my new one, it, it's really, it, it, it's really clear. And you actually, I almost have to play lighter to play to the mandolin to keep it from, from sort of like, uh, like peeking out. Um, whereas with the model M that's got an Engelman spruce top on it, it's a little bit woodier. It's a little bit darker, a little more body. And I can just really lay into that thing as much as I want without any sort of buzz or anything like that. It's just a really fun mandolin to tear around on. Um, how long have you had the, the F style? Oh man, I guess it's been, oh, has it been a year or two years now? Uh, I don't know. COVID <laughs> threw me out of whack. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, man. Have you have you gone over and met the people from Northfield? Like yeah, Adrian and all I, them? They're the best, man. Oh, yeah. They're the best. Yeah. I went over there for their uh, Marshall Mandolin Summit back oh, in 2019. Cool. Yeah. Very, very cool event. Um, and got to tour their factory and sort of see some of the technology behind how they do things. And it's it was just super super fascinating i had i had had my model m for a couple of years at that point and had been hearing about northfield for a couple of years but to go there and see you know sort of like their approach to what makes them different um and, and see it firsthand was really inspiring like i remember getting there and and you tour the factory it's like all right good mandolins and then that night you go to a show and like it was at the this is at the summit they like had food for everybody and it was the best food they had <laughs> all all of the best food they had the best coffee it's just all right these guys are serious <laughs> yeah the northfield they couldn't be a nicer group of people man yeah i i've oh, man my like this the way that i got my last two mandolins have been so awesome too because both of them have been people who have been like Hey, like this mandolin sounds like something that that you would really enjoy. Like to hear that from somebody else, like somebody who's listened to your playing, and is like, "Hey, you should try this mandolin. You would like this mandolin." Um, and so my my model M, I got it from this guy named Andrew Buckner down in Tennessee. Really, really great mandolin player himself. And uh, he had recorded this album with with the model M, and then he sold it to me. Um, and I remember like he, he sent me a message on Instagram and he was like, you know, I think this would sound really good in your hands. You should, I'll send it up to you for the summer. You can just try it for the summer, you know, no pressure or whatever. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had my, I had my Eastman at the time and I was so used to that. I was so used to the feel of that and everything that I, I didn't want to get rid of it yet. I was like, oh man, I want the, my next mandolin to be like my last mandolin, you know? <laughs> and I wanted like, you know, this beautiful sunburst F style. Um, but uh, no, I mean, the, the Model M came in the mail and and I remember taking it out of the box and playing it and pretty immediately being like, all right, yeah, yeah, he's right. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, and then my my new one, um, just a couple. Yeah, I guess it was a couple of years ago. I had sent an email to the Northfield guys, and I was in my, I guess I was in my last semester of college, and I was just thinking like, eh, you know, maybe maybe one of these days soon, I'll I'll get an F style, and and you know, just I don't know. I was just itching for an F style, I suppose, at the time. And um, so I, I sent an email to the Northfield guys and just asked if they had anything, you know, on the shelf used that, that they were letting go of at a, a decent price. And uh, I got an email back and they said, well, well, we've got this one that we think you'd really like. <laughs> <laughs> and so they sent that one to me and uh, yeah, more expensive than I originally intended, but it was another uh, another moment of oh yeah they're right. <laughs> is there is there like a lot of music stores with that have mandolins in Wisconsin or? 
Oh man, not that I know of. We've got a nice one here here in Madison called Spruce Tree Music. Um, it's run by this 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 real nice old guy, and uh, I remember I grew up on the east side of Wisconsin, and then went to school on the west side of Wisconsin, and now I live sort of in the middle. So when I was in college, I would stop in there every once in a while, and they have a couple Collings mandolins and oh, and cool. just uh, plink around and see what they had on the wall. Yeah. I just remember moving to Charleston from Michigan and um, again, like elderly instruments was like, it was an hour and a half from my house and any chance I had to go there, it was just like, I knew I was going to spend, like I was going to buy books and yeah. different picks and play a bunch of killer mandolins. And I was coming, I'm like, Oh man, moving to Charleston, South Carolina, that's the South. There's going to be <laughs> mandolins and every, I, dude, there's the, it's, it's so embarrassingly sad. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, they're not bad music stores here. They just have zero mandolins, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, um, you know, it's cool, really cool guitar store here in town, but really play much guitar. Not not enough to spend a bunch of money on one anyway. That's for sure. Yeah, so. totally. It's cool that that elderly is there in Michigan, though. I mean, Michigan isn't the place you would expect to have like a really killer mandolin selection. Yeah, not at um, all. But they do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like we the the Midwest itself. Like we've got like Wisconsin, Illinois. Uh, Michigan and Minnesota all have sort of distinct little, little uh, bluegrass, old time jazz kind of scenes within them. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it's cool that there's like a, there's a really legit, awesome music store here in the Midwest sort of feeding, feeding those scenes. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. That's, it's, there's nothing like just taste testing a bunch of things you know, yeah. e even if you, you know, if you go in with the mindset of like, ah, I'm going to play some things I can't afford as opposed to going like, I'm never going to own one of these. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of do fun. You remember, <laughs> do you remember the first time you walked into a store and played like a really nice mandolin? Uh, I remember the first time I played a mandolin and was I was like the sound, the sound haunted me forever. And it was elderly <laughs> instruments and it was an in it was built by Gary Tope. T-O-P-E. Okay. And he's a local Michigan guy. I don't even know if he builds anymore. But I remember picking it up and I played an A chop chord and oh, it, yeah. it it resonated through my soul, man. <laughs> and again, like, you know, I was like a new dad at the time and I was just like, there is no way. And it was only like it was it was a couple thousand dollars like yeah. but at the time it might have it might as well have been a lore to <laughs> <Yeah>. me, <laughs> you know, but I um. Every time I pick up a mandolin to this day, the first thing I do is play an A chop chord because yeah. I'm like, if I'm still waiting for that Excalibur moment again to. Yeah, you never forget it. I remember I remember the first time I went to Carter Vintage and I walked in and I played this Bill Monroe model Gibson from the 70s. And I was expecting to just have my mind blown. You know, I was playing my Eastman at the time and. Um, I remember sitting down and playing it and it was kind of a dud. Like it was really, it was a really sleepy mandolin. And I just remember being like, whoa, this is crazy. I can't believe that I don't like this mandolin. But it made me realize like, man, mandolins are, are really sort of personal instruments too. Like each one sounds so different. Yeah, but, that, that that's the hardest part. Like I get people who will ask questions about about mandolins and, and it, I think it's a little bit easier when you're kind of looking at like the uh, upper entry level, like the Eastman's and and things like that. You know, they're pretty consistent because I yeah. think they kind of go through a very similar process as yeah. opposed to when you're getting like handcrafted, you, you know, then it becomes even more difficult because you really, if you're going to spend that type of money, you really got to kind of play them and totally. find the one that speaks to you because I've definitely gotten a couple where I had bought them and they had, thank God they had like periods of like a trial period because yeah. I was like, Whoa, man, if I would have spent that on this, I really, <laughs> I really yeah. would have been bummed out, man. <laughs> yeah. And more often than not, I mean, that that's kind of the beauty of, of, playing the mandolin too more often than not the nicest mandolin i find on the wall is not the most expensive mandolin because i mean there's so many there's always new builders coming out too like northfield is a, is a pretty new company and i remember pretty early on recognizing like oh these guys are making really nice mandolins or um andrew maori out in bend oregon he's another one um who 
I remember like he had a couple mandolins on the wall at Carter Vintage, you know, I mean, they were expensive, but not in the Gilchrist Dudenbostel range and just so easy to play. So balanced and yeah, I don't know, man. I just love a good mandolin. Yeah. Do you remember the first one that you picked up where you were like, whoo? Oh man. Um, probably a red diamond. Oh Yeah. Red Diamond is the only, uh, they're the only mandolins I've ever played where every single one that I've played has been unbelievable, like mind blowing. His consistency, yeah. like um, they had, when I was at IBMA, there was a booth with a few of them across from me and yeah. you could tell, I mean, just playing them, picking on them. They're like, wow, these, these are really, really consistent. Like. You know, yeah. like, well, that's that they definitely have a sound and it and it sounds great. And just like even when people picked him up of all different levels, like you could yeah. tell it elevated even like some some intermediate players playing by just having that yeah. tone. Yeah, totally. Man, well, I got two more questions for you, Carter, and you know, let you get on with your morning. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, the, and the first one is um, if you had 10 minutes a day to work on something or to recommend something to someone to work on, what would you do? Oh man. Um, let's see, 10 minutes. Uh, assuming I don't spend the 10 minutes trying to think of what to do, <laughs> right? I probably, I got oh, to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably put on a metronome at about 90 beats per minute and just play through a bunch of fiddle tunes. Um, and play them as if you're jamming them. So kick them off, play the melody, play the chop, play the melody again, play the chop. Um, just to get through the song and then start to try to imagine the rest of the band behind you and imagine the music around you. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to sort of build your internal clock and, and build some internal confidence as well. That's a great one, man. I love both the kickoff and then doing the chop. That's yeah. uh, And I find a lot of times for me, um, that working on the chop, especially on things like Blackberry Blossom or Whiskey Before Breakfast, which are ones that come up at almost every single jam, like really yeah. helps you wrap your head around the song too a little bit more when you're not playing the melody because you're hearing yeah. the chords and being like, oh, that's why it sounds so cool over this chord. You know, it's kind of, you can yeah. kind of hear I mean, the song in a different way. Yeah. And one of the things I've noticed about like all of my favorite players is they're so good at sort of I, I i call it like they're so good at getting through the corners so i'm kind of an f1 nut and like formula one racing is all about you know the efficiency and the speed through the corners and and so it's the same thing in a song you know how do you kick off a song like that's one corner getting into it and then you have how do you get into your solo there's another corner how do you get out of your solo um, how do you get back to the chop and getting all of that without you know, without losing the concentration of where the beat is. That's why I think it's so good to kick off the song, play the melody, play the chop, get all that done with the metronome in one go. Yeah, that's perfect, man. And then the final question is, do you have a favorite beer? Uh, yeah, I do. So we have a, a great a great little brewery up here called Three Sheeps Brewing. Um, they're from right around my hometown, um, I'm originally from Waldo, Wisconsin, 400 people. Woohoo. Where's Waldo? <laughs> Where's Waldo? Hey, man. That was so well, bad. Waldo is near <laughs> Sheboygan, where we've got three sheeps brewing. And uh, they've got a they've got an amber called Rebel Kent. And Ooh. I'd have to I'd have to go with that one. Ooh, man, I love Ambers. Oh yeah. Do they have live music there? They do. Oh, yeah, cool, they were man. they actually were like the first uh, one of the first venues in my area to start doing like original music and things like that. And it totally changed like the entire culture of the town around it, which was super cool to see. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, man. Well, Carter, it's been a pleasure, dude. This is uh, we got to get together and pick sometime. That's that's got to be the next thing. Um, totally. And uh, I'm so glad that we got to do this again. We had touched base early on and then just, things just got crazy. <laughs> the yeah. world, like the world literally changed on us. And, and, yeah, um, but I've been watching your Instagrams for, for years and just, you never cease to inspire me. And I, oh, I think you're right a great on. player, buddy. 
Same to you, man. Oh, I've thanks been listening so much. to your podcast for years, and it's inspiring too. So that's great. I appreciate dude. that. Well, I'll holler if I'm ever up in Wisconsin. I, I'm definitely trying to, uh, as things again get more normal. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, let me I know def- when you're up here. I'll for let sure. You know when I'm down there, we'll get some picking in. Yeah, please do. That'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I'll be I'll be around too. I'm going to IBMA this. Oh, this are you really? Year and oh yeah. yeah, I'll have a booth there again this year with Keith from Picky Fingers. Right. Oh, on, dude, cool. and and we're organizing a mandolin jam. I don't want to. Yeah. I'll, I'll put that out there. This will be the first I mention <laughs> of it. But myself and a in a past guest talked about um, getting together a little little special mandolin jam. So yeah, Super I'll cool. let you know for sure. That'll be great. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. Same here. Thanks for doing it, Carter. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate uh, appreciate the chat. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much to Carter for doing the podcast. Be sure to follow Carter on the Instagrams. I'll have a link right in the description here. Have a fantastic and safe holiday weekend, everybody. Cheers.